Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. I always find choosing the title for these studies tricky because I think that some people will only watch the things that have a title that would attract them to it. Many people have told me that. Oh, I watched it because I saw the title. What that means is that uh, the vast majority of my titles don't grab people. Uh, I really struggle with finding a title for this one. Uh, I don't know whether this is an attractive title or not. Thoughts on a popular, comfortable, but seemingly unbiblical idea. Well, I'm not going to tell you what it's about. You're just going to have to listen and see. We're in John chapter 12. Some Greeks have come to Jesus uh, and they want to meet Jesus. They come to Philip and say, we would like to see Jesus. And this seems to be the prompt for Jesus talking about now being the time for him to be glorified on the cross. Now is the time for him to die uh, to be rejected by mankind, to suffer in our place, and then to rise again. And these few verses are the last things before the Last Supper. And so there's this implication that now Jesus is saying, okay, I've done what I need to do. And there seems to be some way in which the coming of the Greeks to Jesus uh, is part of that. It's certainly in John's mind. In our last study, we looked at how Jesus talks about this, the cross being the moment of judgment and defeat for Satan. But he is still a prince or having some authority. So we pick it up in John 12, verse 32. And when I am lifted up, Jesus says, from the earth, I will draw people, all people to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So he's saying, when I'm lifted up, when I'm put on the cross, there is a sense in which that's a physical lifting up. There's a sense too in which it is a, a cosmic glorification. But the question is, what does he mean when he says, I will draw all people to myself. Does he mean, as some say, that all people will be saved through Jesus? That when he is lifted up, he will draw all people to him, that everyone will be saved, everyone will be in heaven. Is that what he's saying? Some people back that up by looking at Colossians, where Paul says this, and he, meaning Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And there's, here's the part that people sometimes refer to. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. All things reconciled through Jesus, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So some people say this implies that God will save everybody. And some people see this through a sort of conditional punishment that happens after death, like purgatory. And others see it simply that the work of the cross is sufficient. And this idea is often called universalism. Now, there is a problem with universalism. It's a lovely idea. It's a comfortable idea. It's a popular idea. But there's a problem with it. The problem is that there are many other verses in the Bible that explicitly say something different. And let's just stay in John because the harmony of John's own recount of Jesus and the concept is important. And some of the most significant verses that we're aware of in John's Gospel. John 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. In other words, some people are going to have a perish and not have eternal life. 
And he goes on to, 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 to uh, uh, reinforce this. He says in 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn, but to save the world. Well, what does that mean? Well, he tells us in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But here's the key bit. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Indeed, Jesus in Luke and in a number of places says this, unless you repent, you will perish. So we've got to work out how do we harmonize these verses? We can either pick and choose which bit of the Bible we want to believe, but I don't believe that's a credible way of handling God's word. I think that it makes God out to be quite inept. He says, oh, well, I've, I, I wrote a book, but it's confusing, and uh, you're just going to have to pick and choose which bits to believe. No, I think God intends us to uh, hold these things and, and bring a, a, a harmony between them. So let's first ask the question, why does God want to destroy the unrepentant? Well, I think there are two reasons why that might be the case. Firstly, heaven has to be better than this. Heaven has to be a place without suffering, without injustice, without inequality, without abuse, without violence, without war, without famine, without uh, uh, infidelity, without betrayal. It has to be better than this world. Otherwise, it's not heaven. Otherwise, it's pointless. Now, if God allows those who don't want to live godly lives into heaven without repentance. If he says, you can live this life and be uh, as self-centered and as oppressive as you want, but you can come to heaven, then the danger is that simply heaven is a repetition of this world. If there's no repentance from people, if they don't say, look, I'm doing the wrong thing, I've lived the wrong life, then actually all the rubbish of this world will be repeated in, uh, in heaven. Or, you see, if the idea is that God transforms people despite their repentance and that in heaven everybody's good even though they didn't want to be good on this earth, if that is the case, then actually this life has been completely pointless and worthless. And God has created a world in which people suffer for no reason because in the end he was going to create a good world where nobody had to suffer. So you ask yourself saying, God, what kind of God are you that you create a world of suffering for no reason at all? It's much more credible and biblical and, and logical to believe that God created a world in this world where people had the choice to choose whether they wanted to live God's way for eternity or whether they would reject his call to submit themselves to him and to live the way of love. So if the Bible clearly teaches that there is a judgment, there is a division, there is a destruction of those who do not choose God's way and there is an eternal life for those who repent, if that is a clear teaching of scripture, let's go back to John 12 and 32 and ask ourselves, what does he mean when he says he will draw all people to himself? What does all people mean and what does draw mean? Well, when we harmonize things, we become, uh, it's easy to understand that all people doesn't mean any, uh, means anyone, not everyone. And remember the context that he's talking uh, about the Greeks. He is, say, he is saying, actually, all peoples, all nations, anyone, not just God's chosen people, not just the Jews, anyone will be drawn to me. All people 
can come to me. The invitation and the power and the effectiveness of the cross is for all people. He will draw everyone to himself. Now there's a sense too that at the end of time, at that time of judgment, that separation, that every knee will bow and everyone will recognise the work and the power of the cross, that he will explain the reason for people's destruction. So what does this mean for us? The cross is for all peoples. That's really important. It is for all peoples. Not just those who, through birthright, uh, are God's chosen people. Not just the nations that have had access to the good news of Jesus. The cross is for all peoples. And the cross will reach all peoples. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue will be represented in heaven. And everyone will have heard. And we are not to exclude any people group from the work of the cross. And one day, everyone will recognise this. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will be too late because we do not make that decision once we see Jesus. We make that decision here on earth. So the implications. Jesus is not just for us. And salvation needs to be offered to all. And the third implication is there is no shame over God's justice. Let's not be embarrassed that not everyone comes to heaven. We may grieve and we will grieve and we long for people to turn to Christ. But it's not something to be ashamed of. That God says there is a value and a standard and there is an implication for choosing a way of self-centered harm over other people. There is a way of choosing rebellion against God and it will lead to destruction. And that actually uh, helps us. When the atheist says, why does God allow all this suffering? We say, he will not allow it in heaven and he will judge those who cause it. So let's not be embarrassed of God's justice, but rather let's seek to bring salvation to all people and not just to hold it just for the... Uh, uh, the people that, that, that have already found it. Not just to hold it for the chosen or the elect, but to give God's good news to all people. So our questions for reflection. Where does Jesus being for all people change my attitude and actions? Where are there points in my life where I've acted as if it's mine or just for good people? or just for people who look like me? And where does the reality of judgment give hope and challenge? Where do we need to be clear with people that there will be a time when the decisions of this life will have eternal consequences? Where do we need to call people to repentance? And through the life that we live, encourage them to come to God through the invitation that we offer to come to church to hear the good news of salvation from destruction. Let's pray together. 
Lord, we thank you that you call all peoples. You invite all people to follow you. We thank you that you uh, are for all peoples. And we pray that you would help us to bring that message. We thank you that there is a justice. There is a reckoning. There is a time when God says the evil must stop. We thank you that heaven will be different and that this life is not pointless. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.